Hi, everybody. It's Todd. How are you today? So I'm watching the news, which is something I can't really make my peace with. I'm trying not to, but then I watch it, and it's a, it's a long story. And the Secretary of Energy, Rick Perry, comes on, and he says uh, – he's explaining uh, the cost of coal versus the cost of natural gas. And he says it's, it's – let me give you a lesson in economics. It's about supply and demand. And then he says when supply is high, demand will follow. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am your loving host for today. My name is Todd Conklin, and I'll be carrying you through this discussion just as far and as fast as I can possibly carry you. Okay, so let's talk about this opening because <laughs> it's worth talking about. First of all, it's a, it's a mistake. People are fallible. Even the best make mistakes. So we can talk about mistakes or not. But that's wrong. So, so demand does not follow supply. Supply follows demand. Everybody get that? Does that make sense? I mean, I don't think you have to have a lot of economics to understand that, that it's not about supply. It's about demand. And the reason I talk about that today, it's kind of an interesting topic. One, it's, it's, it's been in my head all day. But two is because I want to talk to you about fatalities and serious injuries. But I want to tell you sort of what motivates me to talk about fatalities and serious injuries. And, and it's probably not what you think. I mean, it's, it's not that we're doing it wrong or that our thinking is wrong or that we've fallen prey to Heinrich's pyramid, to the broken window pane theory of, of managing serious events. It's not that we are terrible at prediction. It's all those things. I'll talk about all those things today. It's more about economics, about supply and demand. And one of the things that is bugging me is that as we get better and better and better, at managing safe and reliable operations, and, and we are, we're better and better and better, the data sets we use to predict and manage resources get smaller and less predictive, right? We know that. So a, as you're good at doing something, your failure data gets reduced, and because your failure data is reduced, you don't have as much data to make decisions on, and that's coloring the way people are talking about and looking at SIF or, or fatality and serious events, FSIs or workplace deaths or explosions or loss of products that cost millions of dollars, these significant catastrophic failures is, is there are people out there who are now just selling crap. I mean, just crap, just, just repackaged crap. I don't know what else to call it. And the reason they're selling crap, do the same thing harder, try more, care more, be more attentive is not because of the supply of information. It's because of the demand. So anytime you have a high demand for knowledge and low resource availability for the knowledge people want, what happens is you create an artificial supply. And that, that's what I think we should talk about today. Because what scares me more than anything when you think about fatalities and catastrophic failure is the fact that there are people out there right now trying to sell your company a program that actually is made up not because they have something to tell you, but because you have such a desire for the information. And 
playing on the needs of organizations that don't want to kill people and playing artificially with with non-empirical, non-scientific, non-practiced, tried and true, tested information, that's not good. And that's kind of what motivates me to have the conversation I want to have with you today. It's, it's a conversation about workplace fatalities and kind of what I'm seeing and what I'm thinking. And what I want to do is invite you into this conversation. So I'm not going to uh, preach at you. What I want you to do is leave this conversation after, I don't know, 28 minutes or so with some questions. And the questions in your mind, I hope, will lead to a new thought around how we manage these high-risk failures. Because this is really important. I mean, this is maybe the most important thing we'll think about and do, is cracking the code, not for ankle sprains, not for back injuries, not for hand cuts. Those are important. But cracking the code for the things that actually kill workers. And that's what we want to talk about today. So without much further ado, welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I believe this is number 132, if I remember correctly. Um, This is a discussion on workplace fatalities. So imagine, if you will, you've got a coin in your hand. Got it? Okay. If you're actually not driving or something, you could actually get a coin. Pause right here and get a coin. Come back. But imagine if you're driving or whatever, you got a coin in your hand. And I want you to flip it, just like we always flip coins. I mean, just like like you're flipping a coin. And tell me whether it's going to come up heads or tails. you got a 50-50 chance, so you're going to be pretty good at guessing. So you're going to guess. And let's say it comes up tails. So you flip it again, and it comes up tails again. And you flip it a third time, and it comes up heads, so now you're two to one. And then you flip it a fourth time, and it's heads, so now you're even. Fifth time, you're back to tails. Sixth time, you're tails again, so now you're long. Seventh time and eighth time, heads, heads, now you're even again. Ninth time, tails. Tenth time, heads. If you did this enough times, I can guarantee you that what you're going to find is that the ratio of head to tail in coin flip is 50-50. Makes sense, right? There's only two sides to a coin. And so what's interesting is over time, with actually very, very accurate ability, you can predict the outcome of a coin flip. The problem is the next time you flip that coin, you can't tell me whether it's going to be heads or tails. Now, I want you to think about workplace fatalities and catastrophic failure not as failures to prevent the accident or outcome, but as actually outliers, as anomalies, as a coin flip. Because we can take it one step further. It's possible, it's totally possible that you could flip that coin for the 98th time and it lands on your desk in front of you and by some bizarre reason, it's just completely freaky, but by some bizarre reason when the coin lands, it lands on its edge and it stays on its edge. Now, is that possible? Yeah, it, it's totally, it's absolutely possible. Is it probable? No, no, it's not probable. And that, that, my friends, is probably the best analogy I can draw 
to workplace fatalities and catastrophic failures, serious events, is that what we have is not a failure of our systems to prevent a horrific outcome. What we have is something that happened that is anomalous. It's an outlier. It's, it's not what we thought it would be. And because it's not what we thought it would be, in fact, it surprised us. And when you think about that notion of surprise, and you think about all those coin flips, I mean, the ones we're talking about, what's interesting to me is that what you're really starting to think about is ultimately a much, much different way to think about how we think about fatalities. He says, saying think about a whole bunch of times in a row. I'm going to make a premise, and the premise I'm going to make comes on the back of looking at a lot of fatalities all at one time. And it's not a good thing, and I don't ever wish it on you ever. But if you get a chance to look at a lot of fatalities, you start to really notice a couple trends almost immediately. One is that companies become fixated not in investigating the anomaly, the, the, the surprise characteristics that cause the catastrophic outcome, Companies become fixated investigating how they failed to prevent the fatality from happening. And that's really, really interesting to me because it takes a really smart group of people and it puts them together in a room in a desperate time to actually try to understand and explain how the worst possible outcome could happen. And one of the ways I think we frame it, because we're human beings and we work in these big organizations, is we frame it by finding someplace somewhere where someone or something failed to function properly, which would have, in fact, prevented the fatality from happening. And then we take that one person or one thing and we greatly amplify it. We shine a light on it and we promise ourselves, kind of morally speaking, that we will never let that happen again because we're going to fix that one person or one thing. That's really comforting, I think. And we need comfort after we've had a catastrophic failure. The problem is, is that then that reinforces the idea that what happened is we failed to prevent the fatality from taking place. Think about that. Every time a bad thing happens, of course we failed to prevent it because had we prevented it, the bad thing would not have happened. The problem is, is then that makes us think that what we have to get better at is prevention. But I actually think we're pretty good at prevention because mostly people don't die at your company. Mostly you don't have catastrophic server loss. Mostly you don't have giant batch failures. Mostly you don't have giant quality defects that escape. Mostly what happens is you create reliability very adaptively in complex systems, and you do it super, super well with great regularity. When it fails, I don't think it's a failure of prevention. I actually think it's a failure of prediction. Back to the coin flip. Over time, I can tell you what a coin flip will be, heads or tails, with incredible accuracy. The problem is, is the next time, I can't promise you 
it won't land on its edge. So let me read you a definition. Don't get bored. Don't freak out. I mean, it's, 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 it's probably good that we read it so we have an agreement on this. Let's define a statistical anomaly. And let's just go to the sort of the, the academy. Let's go to the, the, the standard tome. Let's, let's go to stats class. And let's just define this. A statistical anomaly is the degree to which something, an event, a person, a data point, something, falls out of normal range for one group – uh, work process X, but at the same time, that anomaly is a result of being in that same work group, work process X. That makes sense? Let me rephrase it. A statistical anomaly is an outlier event that, it's, that is created by the system that is developed to not have outlier events. Now, that's really interesting when you think about it, because now what we're talking about is really understanding this notion of an anomaly. And to actually have this conversation, I think the first thing we have to do is break down a couple really important mm, old sacred cows, if you will, in the safety, reliability, surety industry. Sacred cow number one, murdered for your entertainment on this podcast. I think the biggest problem we have, and there's a bunch of them, so I don't know if biggest is the right word, is whoever sold the idea that every accident is preventable. So if you saw me at the American Society of Safety Engineers meeting having a conversation with Scott Geller, or if you saw the video of it, it's probably worth watching. Man, Geller got mad at me because I used the word accident. And he just kept saying, there you go again. You're calling them accidents. And I said, well, what do you call them? And he says, well, I don't call them accidents because accidents imply they can't be prevented. Well, this idea that every accident is preventable, that's just a load of crap. By definition, the word accident is an unintentional deviation from an expected outcome. Accidents are, by definition, accidents, he says, using the word in its definition, which is called circular logic, which would totally get me secretary of energy if I stayed on it long enough. We can't control every accident. And every accident is, in fact, preventable after it happens, but I'm a genius after it happens. The problem is, is that before it happens, the accident is a surprise. And so somehow the belief that accidents are preventable has built a whole narrative that we failed to prevent it. And so clearly we must be less than adequate, less than right, less than honorable, because somehow, some reason, some way, we didn't prevent that accident and we should have. Sacred cow number two, butchered and filleted and cut into ribeyes to be grilled on a nice 500 degree cast iron grill until it's almost perfectly medium rare. Heinrich's Pyramid. Oh, my gosh. Don't even get me started. And you probably are thinking the same thing. I mean, we've done a pretty good job in helping understand that Heinrich's Pyramid is certainly seductive. It is so incredibly attractive. Oh, oh, 
Oh, but what if it could? Because then the world would be super predictable. And if the world's super predictable, it's super easy to manage. The problem with the pyramid is that, in fact, it implies that if you take care of the small problems, the big problems take care of themselves. Another way to look at that is a, is a theory that actually Rudy Giuliani made famous called the broken window panes theory. And that is if you, uh, if you fix the broken window panes in a vacant building and you keep those windows up and running, the building won't be vandalized. Rudy Giuliani did it in the city of New York by focusing law enforcement on jaywalking. And if they were arresting jaywalkers, then the criminals would believe that if they're watching something as simple as jaywalking, then there must be some, some, some amazing force that's going to look at real crime. Well, those ideas aren't uninteresting. They're super interesting. The problem is, is that they assume then that somehow a fatal accident or a catastrophic disaster is somehow a function of someone's choice, that they purposely chose to do what it took to get them in a position where they died. And retrospectively, it's going to look that way. The problem is, is in context, it's not that way at all. Those very significant sacred cows, the belief that all accidents are preventable, and the belief that somehow Heinrich's pyramid makes the world predictable and linear, and that if we manage the low-level events really, really well, we won't have high-level events, that's really attractive. But it's wrong. That's important for us to talk about, because that really sets the stage for the premise I want to make, at least in this discussion. Now, you know that I have this book because I've been kind of pumping it a little. The book is really interesting because the book specifically says that fatal accidents and catastrophic failures, those aren't a function of a failure to prevent. They're a function of the failure to predict. And that really we can't manage anomalies because by definition they're anomalies. The system we've created to control for them actually created them. They're outliers. And if we can't manage anomalies, then what we have to manage is our ability to recover from that anomaly. Now, Sidney Decker would say at this point, I'm being too linear. And maybe I am. I mean, I'm wide open to that. And Sidney Decker would say, you need to be more aware of the complexity, the drift that happens. All those things are super true. And yet when you look at a whole bunch of fatalities, like more than 20, you start to realize that super good people, highly experienced, amazingly talented, and very, very good at their job, died. And you start to think, how'd that happen? They're as qualified as anybody in the world, and they mostly do this job and not die. In fact, for the most part, they do this job all the time and don't die. What happened this time? And that's when you start thinking, wow, I have to manage prevention because it's really important. It's what got us to where we are now, but it's not sufficient enough to actually manage for anomalies. So if you read Nassim Taleb's book, The Black Swan, you're kind of probably figuring out where this is heading. And the funny thing is my intention was to not sort of dumb down Black Swan. I just kind of got to the same place with a bunch of really, really interesting and super smart people 
I got to the place where I thought, you know, these aren't failures of prevention because mostly prevention works really, really well. What these are are failures of resilience. That what happened happened in such a way that we didn't have any ability to recover. And because we couldn't recover, the outcome was, was a catastrophic failure. It's not a function of good choices. Sorry, Tom Cross, but it's not. It's not a function of good leadership, although good leadership matters. It's not a function of bad prevention. Prevention is good. It's only as good as it can be based upon the normal variability that workers manage. Thank you, Eric Hallnagel. What we have to understand, ultimately, is that catastrophic failure, death, hides in successful work. It hides in the potential for the quarter to come down and land on its edge. It's highly improbable, but it's possible. And because it's possible, that really sets us up in a position to think about fatalities not as a failure of prevention, but as a failure of resilience. Now, I'll just say it because it needs to be said. Prevention is important, but there's a true bias to prevention. And the problem with the bias to prevention, and that bias, I should tell you what it is because I'm thinking it, I'm just not saying it out loud, is, is our job is to get really good at preventing bad things from happening. And the problem with this bias is that as we get good at preventing bad things from happening, our payoff is bad things don't happen. And when bad things don't happen, then we think, ha, huh, it's because we're really good at preventing bad things from happening. So therefore, I will do more preventing bad things from happening in order to get less bad things from happening because I'll focus on the prevention side. And that's all not bad. In fact, it's pretty vital. I, I, I certainly wouldn't go on the record saying not to do that. But the question I'd ask you is, is it sufficient? It's necessary, but is it enough? And that idea, well, that idea takes us into a really interesting place. Because when you look at these catastrophic losses, they seem to kind of fall into three categories. There's either a complete lack of resilience. We had no ability to recover. Uh, a worker falls from height. There's no fall protection. There's no scaffolding. And when he or she falls, they fall to their death. Or our resilience wasn't robust enough. Our safeguards weren't effective, weren't in place, weren't sufficient, weren't enough. Right Or the third category is just absolutely a failure of imagination, an event beyond our ability to imagine the event could happen. And when you start looking at that, you start thinking, well, we don't really manage uncertainty. What we manage is our capacity to have uncertainty by managing resilience. So what's the damn answer? <laughs> well, that leads us to what I promised earlier when I introduced this podcast. I, I'm not sure I have an answer. <laughs> don't, don't expect an answer. What I want to do is leave you with some questions. So I really want you to question this notion of prevention, but not because prevention's bad, but is prevention enough? I really want you to question the idea that all accidents are preventable, 
you know, and you could take that the next level of abstraction down, which means every accident happens because some worker took an at-risk behavior. That's just crap. I want you to really, really question the Heinrich model, the, the seductive nature of sort of the predictive pyramid because it's wrong. What I want you to think about the fact is, is that I think we really manage three types of safety. Whether you run a software or a server or a construction company or a manufacturing plant or a tugboat, whatever you do, we manage all the prevention safety, we manage all the work execution safety, and we manage resilience. And we have to do it in a balance. You have to have the right amount of prevention. You definitely have to have the right work execution. But you also have to have the ability to fail safely, the resilience. And I think one of the things we can do, one of the challenges we can take on as a profession in understanding fatality, catastrophic failure, is to ask this question. Is it a failure to prevent or is it a failure to recover? And that idea that you can't really manage prevention sufficiently enough to encompass all the things that could happen, that's only outshined by the ability to actually manage resilience, the ability for work to fail safely. And what comes out of this, and you've heard this before on this very podcast, is a real different question when you think about managing these three forms of safety. Instead of working probabilities, which is kind of that prediction part, and remember, we're terrible at predicting. You don't know when the coin is going to go heads or tails, and even worse, when the coin could potentially land on its edge. What we manage, really, is changing from predictive words to actually very, very specific words. So instead of saying, if this system fails, we now would say, when this system fails. We build all the prevention because the prevention really matters. We've got to build that in. But instead of managing probability, there's a 38.6% chance this will fail, Assume the probability of failure is 100%. When it fails, because we don't have perfect people, we don't have perfect systems, we don't have perfect processes, we don't have perfect work, we don't have perfect weather. When it fails, what is it that keeps us from having a fatality or a catastrophic loss? That challenge is the premise of a new view, a, a different way to look at and at least think about fatal and serious events, accidents. Because ultimately, that's what we do, you guys, is, is we manage resilience, and we've done a really good job. We manage work execution, and we're very good at that. And we also must manage resilience. And realizing that a catastrophic failure is not a failure of prevention or even a failure of work execution. That helps us understand how really good people get in the position where they die. Because traditionally, I think what we've thought is, you know, the worker became momentarily incompetent. They, they kind of had a brain fart and did something stupid. Now what I'd ask you is, when the system failed, certain term, what was our resilience plan? What was our, our recovery strategy? What was our structure to build a system that has the potential to fail safely? And if you're Alcoa, you've got boots that can handle high heat for 30 seconds. 
If you're UAW Ford, you've got gloves that the fingertips are tear away. If you're Brassfield and Gory, you've got people in fall protection because you don't know when they're going to fall, but you know when they do fall, you're prepared for that failure to take place. That, my friends, that is a much different way to look at and understand fatalities and catastrophic failures. And I don't think I'm selling you a load of crap because the demand is high. What I think I'm saying is that doing the same thing harder, believing truly that every accident is preventable, and that for some reason a person died in our company because we failed to prevent the accident, I can sell you a program that makes you go out and care more. But I'm not sure that program that makes you care more gets much past prevention. The thinking has to move from the bias of prevention to actually the management of resilience. When something bad happens, what we tend to do is we look at it in retrospect, we oversimplify it, we find the point in time where we fail to prevent it, and then, my friends, we bolster the prevention in the hopes that it never happens again. When in reality, the same event's not going to happen again. That's crazy talk. What we got to do is build the ability to make systems that are resilient. So what do you think? Huh? <laughs> Just a little thought-provoking podcast. Sorry there's no guest. I got a lot of heat to do this one. So I, I wanted to do it because it's it's kind of a brief overview of, of the new book, Fatality Prevention, a Systems Understanding of Workplace Fatalities and Catastrophic Failures. It's available on Amazon or any place you buy your cool safety books. It's on sale, so you should buy it. More importantly, though, I, I really think the message is different enough that it's causing people to approach the problem differently. And it's about problem approaching, not about problem solving. If we look at the problem differently, we're going to come up with different answers. And the one thing I know for sure, I mean, the one thing I can bet you for absolute certain is that, in fact, the way we've traditionally looked at this is not good enough because people are still dying. Really safe organizations kill people. And so that's why we ought to think about looking at this a little differently. So I hope you get what you need. That's really important. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Learn something new every single day. And for goodness sakes, y'all, be safe.